Ready. Hello and uh, no. <laughs> that was a silly hello. I like yeah, that guy. <laughs> I'm not happy with it. Hello, listener, uh, and welcome to another episode of Fun Bearable. This is a bonus episode. Uh, I'm here. I'm Ray Harrington, as well as Chuck Staten and Brad Rohr. And we're uh, we're doing this audio only. There's no video component to this episode. Yes. Uh, but uh, uh, my fellow boys, my fellow fun boys, uh, I, I have to say, uh, when this drops, it is November 5th, which is right. also another day. Remember, remember the 5th of November, right? Right. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not Guy Fawkes Day. No. Oh. What then, day is that? Then why are we wearing these masks? <laughs> I just didn't want to look at your faces. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I, I have a I have a guy Richie mask. It's really <laughs> obscure. That's strange. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you saying no that because it's just me. the guy was it was in Guy Falks? Yes, Guy Falks. Falks Day. Yeah. It's Michael J. Falks Day, actually. I wish uh, Guy Falks uh, had a faux hawk. <laughs> That'd be yeah. really confusing to describe. <laughs> Very confusing. Uh <laughs> no, November fifth is also uh sort of like a back to the future day. Yeah. Because November 5th in the year 1955 is when uh, Marty McFly appeared in uh, Hill Valley in 1955 on the same day that Mm -hmm. uh, one Dr. Emmett Brown invented time travel. Yeah. Very busy day. Yeah. It it was a busy day. It was a very, very busy day. Um, uh, So... uh, this is a special little bonus that we figured uh, it was a perfect time to drop this on November 5th. Uh, and it is an episode from my previous podcast, Ray Harrington Must Content. Uh, and mm-hmm. on that podcast, a lot of interviews. Uh, both of you were on it for fun things. Uh, and I yes. also interviewed a lot of people that made things that I really like. And I'm sure some of those episodes will make their way to fun bearable at a point. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this episode is very special. It's extra, extra, extra special in my my mind and my heart uh, because uh, this is an interview I did with Bob Gale, the yeah. uh, the writer and uh, co-producer of Back to the Future, all, all three Back to the Future films. I remember this because you. I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, but you were like, man, like. It's such a, you love Back to the Future. I love Back to the Future. Brad loves Back to the Future. I do. And when you landed this interview, remember we were talking about like what you should ask him? Yeah, we were talking about different questions, different things to go over because the, que- the really the, the, the hard thing to do here is not nerd out too much. Right. Get too into the weeds about the things because mm-hmm. you guys, you guys do this stuff quite a bit with, uh, with like the Comic-Con panels and things like that. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to ask these questions to people, but to to do it on you know in a personal setting on on your own podcast, uh, right? And and also playing the line of like, well, I'm a stand up comic and I want to be funny, but also right. yeah, I'm not going to ask this guy to take an hour out of his day so I can like poke jokes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And you also you do, you're like you're like, well, I don't want to ask the most basic questions that this guy's answered a thousand times, but yeah. I also don't want to ask the weird obscure stuff. Right. So you're like, like I just want to know how many times Marty and Jennifer had made love. Yes. Yeah. Right. Now see if I had done this interview uh, after after we did our first batch of episodes <laughs> of Fun Bearable, it would have been a different interview. Yes. <laughs> it I, will, been, I will I will <laughs> 
I will say, me and Ray have a long-standing dispute about the rules of the Back to the Future universe, and I, I Ray refused see, I to ask him about them. I wouldn't say it's a dispute. I think you have uh, the <laughs> wrong idea of how time travel works in this world, and I think that you that insist it on it, 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 even though I've I've explained. <laughs> The, the the issue and you're like Ask I think Bob that Gale. Ray saying you don't we don't have a dispute you have the wrong idea is how he thinks about every argument no I admit when <laughs> when it's a uh, you know he said he said situation well th- this is this is I mean literally I know that you think that you're right and I'm wrong but it it we have a dispute about a thing that never clearly gets solved in the Back to the Future movies uh, sort of it's a it's a basic principle of the uh the time travel and i would argue that the uh the issue is completely resolved when you look at other aspects of the films but let's not do this chuck let's not get, I know, i'm just, let's I'm not just saying get i'm just saying i think that i think that that would have been an interesting road to go down you know what i mean um for who <laughs> for for chuck who else who else would chuck care about it being interesting for yeah uh but i will say in the interview you know i wanted to talk about some stuff and try and ask some questions that he hadn't heard or you know focus on different aspects of this thing and like one of the questions i i was able to ask was uh was something that i just spotted in the background um you know recently and and was able to ask that question and he hadn't heard it before which was delightful and uh and i got to run some of this stuff by uh lee leshen um we've mm-hmm. mentioned before friend of friend of the pod fan of yeah. the pod uh personal close yep. friend and uh he's he's wonderful and he uh produced uh the back to the future documentary back in time right and yes. so and so he knew bob gale through that that's how this whole thing happened and, um, you know, and he was very clear about like, here are the questions he's heard a million times and, uh, you know, and he has those answers ready to go. Uh, sure. and I pointed out the thing that, that I had, I had just recently caught and he was like, Oh, I have not heard that. And I did the documentary on this, you know? So right. that yes. was fun. Right. But to really focus on, uh, the writing I think was really special because that script uh, the Back to the Future script, and I say it in the the uh, the interview, but that Back to the Future script is perfect. It's a perfect yeah. script it, it, right. like, in I'm, terms of you know plot exposition, laying the pipe right. of everything, but not being boring, and having like right. a fun adventure. It's it's untouchable. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about it because I you know to to pull back the curtain. I'm a little tired. I just drove from New York to uh, Rhode Island. I got in my house less than 5 minutes ago. Ray said, "Get your dick on the on the Zoom." And I said, "Yes, sir." Yeah. My dick's here. Well, you took forever cuz you drove that moped. <laughs> yeah, and I and I remember I said, "I'm going to take every exit and just see where it takes me." So I've been driving for <laughs> yeah. weeks. Yeah. It's it's been <laughs> so, uh, and you're like, "Oh, I'll I'll record it on the on the moped." I'm like, "No, the wind. The wind. <laughs> what about the what about the wind and the bugs? My God, the bugs. Um, and your no, bumper sticker I, uh, says ass, ass, or ass, right? <laughs> no one rides for free. Yeah. It's just all ass. <laughs> it's a, no, I, I, well, I crossed out grass and I crossed out gas. gas. Yeah. And I, and I crossed out no one and I put any ass rides for free. So it's. <laughs> Ass or at any ass rides for free. Um, no, I was thinking about this on the drive home, and I was like, "Man, I'm like Back to the Future, you know, top five movies of all time for me." Yeah. Um, and you guys also really enjoy it. And I'm like, 
I'm like, I wonder what that formula is. It's 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 the writing, the obviously the performances are killer. But I was thinking about the formula of Back to the Future because it's it kind of does exist within blockbuster culture. Like you think of it alongside um, E.T., Star Wars, Jaws, all those big movies, Gremlins. There's something similar about all of them, um, Indiana Jones. But Back to the Future is not. It, you know, it's not the most expensive movie of all time. It's not based on special effects for the whole thing. It's just a great story. It's just like yeah. every moment is the right next moment to go to to keep an audience captivated. Yeah, I, I think it's a. I think if you do break down the the formula of Back to the Future, it is one mm-hmm. of those perfect storm situations where you have a script that was, you know, this was pitched. Uh, quite a bit this movie was kind of uh it was turned down a couple of places it was it was pitched and repitched and it was really just a concept at, at, at a certain point and spielberg kind of coming in and being like hey let's let's make this happen um yeah and letting robert zemeckis you know direct and and uh work on the the writing process with bob gale the script right. is like the perfect storm is you have a script that is one of the tightest scripts ever written Really, I think that like it, it comes down to it's a textbook version of like here's how you write a perfect three act structure for a, right. for right. a story. Uh, so you have exactly. that part of the perfect storm. Then you have you know your lead, Michael J. Fox, lightning in a bottle. Like how do you? I don't right. think you can compare Michael J. Fox, and I don't and and, it, and Christopher Lloyd. And, and Christopher Lloyd, another perfect uh, casting situation. And the rest mm-hmm. of the cast is super strong, comes in gangbusters. Like, there's no duds. You know what I mean? There's no, no duds. Oh, no, for sure. And you even get a weirdo. Oh, yeah. With there's Crispin even, Glover? Crispin Glover, yeah. You even get a weirdo yeah. that they try and, you know, wrangle. <laughs> there's some great <laughs> yeah. stories about that. There's some of great course. stories about that. I don't know. I can't remember if Bob got into those stories or not, but I, I, it might be apocryphal. But uh, I, I did hear about a situation where in the backyard, when they're shooting the part where um, uh, George McFly the is laundry putting part, laundry right? up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, Marty McFly is, is trying to convince him, you got you to gotta ask her out. You got to ask her out. Right. And uh, uh, the, the clothes are getting hung up. And this shot was taking forever because Crispin mm. Glover would not stand still. He, would, he was yes. moving around too much and like, like leaving uh, the, the camera line and everything. And Zemeckis is like, you got to stand there. You got to stand there. And, uh, and Crispin Glover's just like, I, th- I think George would move around. I think he would be moving. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's yeah, what he was yeah, saying yeah. the whole time. Yeah. And Zemeckis right. finally like planted something on the ground. Like they put up like a little, a little tiny fence around his feet and they said, yeah, do yeah, not right. move from this spot. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's incredible. But yeah. so you take that, then you have, uh, the, uh, the soundtrack, the soundtrack is, is fantastic. Yes. The score uh, Alan yep. Silvestri, uh, or Silvestri, Sil- Silvestri. How do, how do, Joel is Silver is his name. No. It's uh, Hi-Ho Silver <laughs> is his name. Oh, okay. Oh, it's <laughs> Alan <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, oh, right? Yeah. I'm re- yes. No, I'm reading it now. It's Saving Silverman. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm so so sorry. it was Alan Slenderman? Breaking Benjamin. <laughs> oh, breaking! Oh man, Breaking yeah. Benjamin and his wife, Good Charlotte. Yes. 
<laughs> she is good. You know what? She's she is good. She's good. You know what? You know what? Every great. once in a while, you catch her on the bad day, and she's just she's she's okay, Charlotte. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. no, that the the score is is perfect. I mean, just everything in that movie is just uh, is is pitch perfect. It's it's really great. Um, yeah. And it is it is a magical thing, and I think there's a reason why it lives the way it does. And uh, my biggest appreciation for that is the fact that that franchise, um, Bob Gale, really is kind of the uh, he's the holder of that torch. He's the bearer of the yeah. torch for right. Back to the Future. And the fact that him and Zemeckis have both said very, very plainly, as long as we're alive, there will never be a Back to the Future remake. We're never rebooting right. Back to the Future. We're never going to touch it. And that's right. a, that's an interesting part of Back to the Future too. It's not not Back to the Future 2, sorry. Right, Back to right. the Future as, as well. well. Yes. Is that it is a hugely popular franchise and yet everyone agrees the entire yes. fandom agrees and the people involved N let's never touch this right yeah it's 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 really interesting but just for fun yeah. if they were going to reboot back to the future who 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 do you pick for these this cast i hope your moped crashes it, just even flirting with this idea because <laughs> right, i have i have i have some solid you know ideas I, okay that Can i think I that honest? you would be 100 percent behind I'll, I'll be honest with you you know people have asked me about this in in the past I uh, yeah. I don't know if I could fill out the whole cast, but right. in terms of a Marty McFly, I think it's a little yeah. too late now. But uh, if you would ask me this in uh, like in, you know earlier, uh, say around when Community was airing, yeah, Donald Glover I think is a great Marty McFly. I think he wow, can embody the the little bit of nerdiness, the little bit of coolness. And right. that extra little side of of just I don't know being a little bit smarter and and funnier than everybody else. Yeah, I think yeah, he could I, he could pull it off. That's pretty good, Brad. Do you have anything? Yeah, Doc Brown for me would be uh, Michael Richards, little manic energy. Uh, oh yeah, there you go. Marty McFly, Jason Alexander. Oh um, no! Oh no! <laughs> You aren't going to want to hear who plays George McFly. <laughs> yeah. Lorraine is Elaine. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's just. I have, Biff, I have a real. Biff will be played by Larry David. Yeah. <laughs> Biff is I do Newman. A, I, <laughs> I do oh, have a hello, real suggestion. Biff. <laughs> I do have a real suggestion, though, that I think we'd be pretty good. Yeah. Yes. So for Marty McFly, you know, 2022. I say we go Miley Cyrus, gender mm -hmm. bend, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. For Doc Brown, real surprise, but you're going to be shocked at how good he is. OJ Simpson, okay, an interesting person. You know, get some get some press on the movie. Yeah, yeah. but definitely get, get some press. That. Yeah, you know, you're you need yeah. press. Press now. So, would you put death threats under the heading of press? So, so hold on, hold on. So Marty McFly, you know, being played by it, she, Bar, Martina McFly, is played by Miley Cyrus. So instead of Lorraine, it's the it's the you know it would have to be a, a dad instead of a mom. Oh no! Immediately the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> hold on, no, it's great. You know, it's great. Here's what it is: it's John Hamm plays Lorraine Baines, <laughs> right? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, the car makeout scene gets very different, Chuck. So yeah. we get Ham, Cyrus, OJ. We got Ham and OJ. Yep. Cyrus. 
Biff, you're never going to believe it. Is it Billy I, Ray I haven't Cyrus? believed any of them so far. Schwarzenegger comes back, but it's not him now. It's his de-aged hologram from the new Terminator movies. Uh-huh. So he's like he's like he's like eighties Arnold Schwarzenegger as mm. Biff. I think that's pretty good. Mm. Yeah, that'd be an intimidating bully. What do you guys think about this movie? I hate it. It's pretty yeah, good. It's really, just garbage. Yeah. Yeah, I want to set instead it on of, fire. Instead of Huey Lewis in the news, Post Malone, um, and the like, how else can I fuck this up? Like Post Malone thing. and the. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He needs a backing band. Let's yeah. Think about this. How about this? How about this? Are you ready for this? Robert Downey Jr. as Doc Brown. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tom Holland as Marty McFly. Okay, I'm on board. Yep. yep. Uh, 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 you get um, Mark Ruffalo as as George. Yes. Okay. okay. Yep. Uh, you get um. You get uh, Scarlett Johansson as Lorraine. There, right, this, is, this is a great cast. Yeah. This is getting hotter by the second. It's getting more and more expensive, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, f- I, forgot, to cast, I forgot to cast George McFly. Hold on. Yes, I got to do did. Biff. I got to do Biff, in, okay. in, my, your Biff? In, in my Avengers. I mean, it's not Avengers. It's, no. Right, no. Right. Uh, just off the top of my... I'm going to say for Biff, probably... Chris Evans is going to be yeah, big. that's good. Yeah, Chris You're Evans or tight. like or or like maybe uh, Tom Hiddleston. He could be a bad guy. I think Tom Hiddleston would be a great. Uh, he's uh, he would be um, he would be the guy that's in Biff's crew that uh, yeah. later <laughs> later goes glasses. on to be in Titanic. <laughs> I love Brad's friends with that guy. Yes, Billy Zane. Close. Close, close personal friends with Billy Zane. He's, he's friends with Billy Zane, and yeah. Brad did a whole uh, he did a whole panel with him, and he came up with the idea of Billy Zane teaching acting classes at Comic Cons, and Billy Zane loves it. Yep, Comic Con doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I have to finish out my cast. Yeah, who's so we your Billy Cyrus? We, well, well, Biff. I told you Biff was going to be young Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's DH. right. DH. Who, who yeah. So Billy Cyrus, John Hammond. Yeah, George McFly. Yep. Um, Billy Ray. So let's see, Miley. Miley Cyrus is going to make out with John Hamm. So who is he married to that would really... We need like a uh, like a nervous energy woman, right? Okay. Maria Bamford. Okay, let's see. Nervous energy woman. What about... Ooh, any woman that Chuck talks to Ooh. in public. <laughs> I have an idea. I have an idea. I have an idea. Roseanne Barr. No! No! But she does, she's, she's not like, she have nervous energy. Are you instead out of, your of nervous, mind? she's like this. She goes like this. <laughs> How about that? You know what I'm talking about when she, she does that? A child <laughs> playing with a car toy? <laughs> or a, a toy velociraptor? Let's see. So who else is there in the movie? Nobody. Oh, That's crew. it. There's nobody else in the, Biff's in the crew. movie. So Chuck. Schwarzenegger's crew is made up of Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh-huh, yep. uh-huh. Sylvester Stallone, yep. and yep. Bruce Willis. Mm. Who's and Bruce uh, who Willis plays, has the 3D glasses. Who plays Goldie Wilson? Goldie Wilson. Mayor Goldie Wilson. Yep. Uh, Mayor. <laughs> oh, you know what would be interesting? As like a little in-joke, Goldie Hawn. Oh, is that her name? Yeah. That okay. would be interesting. Sure. Because that way, then no one would for, the cast won't forget what her name is. What if that's it's a Owen Wilson? Movie sets. Owen Wilson. Oh, mm. What if it's Goldie Hawn and Owen yeah, Wilson? And, and they wink all the time. And yeah. they're running as co-mayor. I think I'm mm-hmm. going to be mayor. 
Mayor. Wow. Principal Principal huh? Principal Strickland. You'll see one day. You're never going to believe this oh, Principal Strickland. Strickland. Ready? Yeah. It's Madonna, but she has this makeup so it just looks exactly like the original Principal Strickland. Like no one would even know it's Madonna. How about this? Let's let's put Bell Principal Belding in as yeah. <laughs> as Principal Strickland. <laughs> Perfect. So you can walk in and go, hey, 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 what is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) And so my doc, OJ Simpson, instead of a dog, he has a uh, gerbil, right? And the gerbil goes everywhere. It has one of those crazy balls. You know what I mean? Yeah, like from G-Force. Yes, exactly. And he sends it back in time in the beginning. Oh, also, instead of a DeLorean, it's an ice cream truck. And it's, this is it's loud. This is it's exactly loud. why I am so glad that Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis have a little something called integrity. And they, and they're like <laughs> we're not going to do this because as you continue going as a joke, all I hear is executives at uh at like <laughs> Warner Brothers or or at yeah. Disney being like what else? What else? What else? And, and also just because we want to be safer in 2022 instead of hitting 88 what if they just have to hit eight? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just a little bit. So there's not so much terror and you're not so nervous and kids won't try to replicate it and go back in time. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. But no, this uh, uh, getting off of this horrifying idea of re, right, uh, right. remaking Back to the Future. Um, I will say for me personally, this was a really wonderful interview interview to do like it, like. I would have I would have created a fake podcast just to create the situation where I could talk to Bob Gale about writing the script of Back to the for Future. Sure. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's incredible sure. to be able to talk to the guy that wrote this movie, not only a movie that I love and from childhood was my favorite movie, I still count it as my favorite as an adult. Uh, but then mm-hmm. also to look at it as an adult and as somebody who writes different things to be able to be like, this is an impeccable script. And to be able yes. to get into that was really, really wonderful. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, like uh, I'm a Back to the Future guy. Like I really love Back to the Future. Right. That was going to be my question uh, before we wrap up and go to the interview. Uh, my question mm-hmm. to both of you is like, what level of fandom do you have for Back to the Future? Uh, I'll, I'll let Brad go first. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, high, uh, no, but not insane. Yeah, like an eight out of ten, maybe. Uh, okay. You know, I read the um, what's it called? We don't need roads. Is that yeah, the name of the too. book? Mm. The I, the biography. Yeah. Yeah, I, I read. What do you that. say? You think it's in your top five? Um, probably. Yeah, I, I've I've watched it uh, repeatedly. Even, uh, you know, oh, it's on DVD. Oh, now it's on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, let, you yeah. know, Chuck and I watched the special features uh, oh, on the, yeah, on the Blu-rays. Pretty... Yeah. And, uh, you know, I do consider it a, a, an incredibly well-written movie. And, yeah, I, I really enjoy, you know, it's, it's uh, I think I made a reference to it in the Halloween episode. I think at some point we talked about the Old West and I started doing, uh, you know, Breaking Benjamin's theme. It, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I consider it a, a classic film and, yeah. uh, it's weird because for, for me, it's so hard to be like, yeah, well, this is why I consider it like, oh, it's my favorite, you know, I, I don't have any, any like merch, 
uh, from Back to the Future, but I know that Chuck loves the movie. So one of the things I do every uh, holiday season is I'll go on eBay and I will search BTTF space rare. And mm. I will look for like unique and interesting Back to the Future merch yeah. to get for Chuck. Um, yeah. Because I know that he loves the movie. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a movie I, I thoroughly enjoy and uh, I, I love it. Yeah, one, yeah. One I'd, I'd say for me, yeah, it's top five for sure, and I'd say I'm a pretty kooky fan. Like, I'm not going to dress up as like Marty McFly Jr. Um, and go to Comic Con, but mm -hmm. I I do love it, and I do think uh, I'm kind of like it's it's one of those movies that like I could watch at any point in time. I think about it a lot. It comes up in my life. I buy shoes to look like Marty McFly. Yeah, I think Marty McFly is like who we all want to be deep inside, right? He's the coolest guy in town. Yeah, he's one of the McFlys yeah. that is, is who I want to be. Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, I thought of this. Um, I, I take back my DeLorean is the, the ice cream truck. It's okay. a white Ford Bronco. Uh, yeah, it has to be at this point. Yeah, that makes yeah, more sense. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. I think that they're, they'd sue us if it wasn't. Um, but yeah, so I for think me, Cato for me, should be the dog. <laughs> Kato Kalen with no lines should be the dog. Yeah. <laughs> they, yes. put, they put the stopwatch around his neck and they're like, come on, come on, get in, Kato, get in. <laughs> for, for me, I'd, I'd say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty fun. crazy, uh, I'm a pretty crazy Back to the Future fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, for me, I think it's one of those things where I'm just like, yeah, I'm a big fan of Back to the Future. It's one of my favorite movies. And what is that? I don't know. Oh. Fuck my my watch hurt, thought I said like hey oh, Siri, well, tell it do to a shut thing. up I did stop it stop it um but no I like I I look at it and I'm like yeah I'm a big Back to the Future fan it's it's one of my favorite movies of all time uh and uh but then when I start cataloging examples of my fandom that's when I'm like oh I uh, yeah I'm a pretty big fan of this movie right. um, yeah for sure I have the hoverboard. Uh, I yep. got the I got the limited edition hoverboard. I have the mm -hmm. DeLorean Lego uh, set. Um, I have uh, various accoutrements that come with uh, being a fan. You know, you guys got me the the, the Biff's Hotel keychain. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. You have the uh, the match made in space tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's on my oh. back. Uh, oh, here. By the way, the finale of my Back to the Future oh, with Miley Cyrus and OJ Simpson. This is exhausting. Is that it's actually on a ski slope, mm -hmm. and OJ ends it's up a big using race. two hoverboards like skis. Whoa! It's pretty cool. Whoa! Yeah, you didn't think about that. Okay, uh, there were no hoverboards in the first one. So, and uh, well, so, uh, yeah, I have that, and then uh, you know, I I um I worked with uh, I worked with Biff. Which was nice, Tom Wilson. Yep, and uh, he was he was a very kind man, and it was it was a good time. Uh, and I was able to uh, get him uh, on my documentary, "Be a Man," which was special because I also mm -hmm. uh, ended up in the DeLorean in the documentary, and right. I got to meet some really big fans of of the movie. And so yeah. I, I wrote in a uh, a replica of the of the DeLorean, but I also got to sit in one of the actual screen-used Back to the Future DeLoreans. Um, yes. And that was insane to be sitting in this tiny, tiny little seat and being like, yeah. oh, yeah, Michael J. Fox had his little tushy right here. <laughs> he had his <laughs> yeah. little tush right here. Wow. Um, but, yeah, that, that was, was really, really special. Yeah. Oh, my God. That tush was in high demand. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
and uh yeah so that was that was wonderful and uh uh yeah, I have these little Back to the Future things. And then, like, my wife and I drove cross-country for our honeymoon. And when we got to the West Coast, I also went to the uh, parking lot of the mall that's right. at the beginning of Back to the Future. I ended up there, and we were mm-hmm. driving around. I'm like, it's supposed to be around here somewhere. And we got to a certain spot, and I was just like, this is it. This is the spot. And uh, yeah. I pulled our rental car into a spot. I'm like, I think it was right here. And I got out and I was looking around and I took some pictures. And then uh, when we got home, I, I popped in in a DVD and I paused it right there. And we had stopped in the exact spot, which was really cool. Wow. That's that great. is very cool. I love Wait, it. Uh, quick, quick interjection. Chuck, who's going who's gonna to play the Libyans in your film? Oh, well, it's 2022. So it's, yeah. um, it's Trump supporters. Mm, okay. <laughs> oh, you're going to catch hell for that too, though. <laughs> Yeah. And it's also it's also very lazy and easy. You know what I mean. So I'm just I I would roll my well, here's eyes the at thing. that. They also they also saved the day at the ski slope. Oh okay. no! You made them the hero. <laughs> They're the heroes. Yeah. Well, at the beginning, it's it's everything about this is for the Back to the Future hardcore fans. Yeah. That's why we're bringing in the hoverboard movie one to trick you. We're ah. using two at a time. That's a surprise. And then the Libyans, a.k.a. the Trump supporters, they come in at the end and they save the day as well. See, you're giving maybe so many examples maybe, of like maybe by accident. the things that that make me cynical about large studios. The fact that you're like <laughs> more hoverboards like that's because that is genuinely a thing that would happen. Hey, you know oh, what? Yeah, People really Star like Wars. the hoverboard. That's Star Wars. So let's like have, double, double-ended, uh, double-ended lightsaber. Yeah. Is the so same let's thing. have a scene where there's 80 fucking hoverboards going on. There's going to be a fight sequence on hoverboards. They're above the ground. They're going over the Grand Canyon or some shit. <laughs> It's, like, yeah. it's just impossible. Uh, there's going to be a scene at the end where it looks like they're defeated, and they're like, no, we're not defeated. And then all of a sudden, all these different timeline uh, Doc and Martys uh, show up in the DeLoreans, <laughs> just like the end of Endgame, where everybody yes. comes back. Right, it's right. going to be it's just going to be a million Doc and Martys, and then they're finally going to I I don't like kill Biff or something. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, Scott. I gotta say, real idea, real idea. What if there was a scene where, like, you know, the DeLorean couldn't fly, they couldn't get it going, and then they figured it out, and you didn't know what their solution was, and it was a hoverboard under every wheel well? That would be cool. <laughs> I hate everything about it. I really do. <laughs> Although it would be funny if uh, if we mashed those up, the end game and Back to the Future world, where Biff gets the gauntlet. Yeah. And see? he's getting the stones. <laughs> Yes. And Robert Downey Jr. sends a message to Marty McFly. He's like, hey, in your universe, in in your universe, this is what's happening. You cannot let Biff get all of the stones. You cannot let him do it. It, And Marty McFly is like, he's got these gems. And if he gets the gems, everything's ruined. (laughs) You know what Biff would say to the Hulk when he punches him? Oh, when did you become such a physical type? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so when did you become the physical type? <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you never wanted to see Marty McFly do the snap? I, I did not, no. I didn't consider that it as a possibility cool. until it this would conversation. It would be pretty cool to see him do the snap and have him go, so there's one thing you forgot, Biff. I am Marty McFly. But there's... <laughs> I just want to see now. I just want to hear Thanos saying Biff lines. 
I just want to say, I hear him say like, why don't you make like a tree and get the hell out of (laughs) here? If I was in this movie as, you know, he's Chuck, he's the director, and somehow I enter it, like I break the fourth wall, I get the gauntlet, I would snap my finger and every character would have a hoverboard. See, this is this is a perfect encapsulation of Chuck's mind. We're talking about this. We get it dragged over to Endgame where he's comfortable and he feels good. And then his next idea is like, and what if also I was the director, but then I was on screen and then I get the gauntlet. Like in three sentences, he's made himself the star of the fucking movie. In no, three it's sentences. It's a cameo. It's a cameo. <laughs> Oh, speaking of Chuck, did you want to did you want to announce that you're you're on cameo now? <laughs> I wish it'd be fun. And and didn't you say you're only sending feet pics? Yes, that's right. So well, um, this is this is double special. So we've got an interview with Bob Gale, uh, writer and uh, co-producer of Back to the Future, and also right. the announcement that Chuck Staten is doing feet pics on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cameo yes uh, you Gross. tried yeah. to do only fans but they they canceled your account after they saw the well, it's actually picks. it's not cameo it's similar and it's just called cankles that's all it is <laughs> and so i'm their first client and i'm just really hoping this goes and, well and their best customer <laughs> <laughs> that's right i hope it goes well because i have sunk my life savings into it so <laughs> Yeah, you did invest early, which is, yeah. uh, you know, yes. I would say you're a good friend. Thank yes. You. And Thanks, I would Brad. say I'm a good friend for me have, having the being willing to be honest and say this is a bad idea. Oh, all right. right. Well, I'm, I'm a good friend. I'm a bad investor. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that's gonna that's gonna wrap us up here for the for the intro. I think we should just get to the Bob Gale interview now that we're yeah. talking about Chuck's feet on a pay to play a subscription program i think we should we should transition to the actual interview uh but i really did i really did enjoy this this was this is one of those um little uh special moment kind of things for me and uh and i and i'm happy to share it with fun bearable and uh and um i hope you guys enjoy it as much as uh as i did and and please 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 listener don't judge me for really letting my inner geek I couldn't keep it in. I couldn't keep in the fanboy, and it eked out a little bit here and there. That's okay. Hell yeah. So, well, without further ado, uh, here's the here's the interview. Bob Gale, the Bob Gale on the yes. podcast. Oh my gosh. I I'm uh I'm going to try and and be cool cuz the last thing I need is for you to think I'm not cool, you know. <laughs> Most people think they're cool and they're really not. So don't worry about that. I I have that problem myself sometimes. People treat me like I'm cool, I said you. If you only knew me when I was in 5th grade. <laughs> oh, nobody's cool in 5th grade. Even the cool 5th grader isn't cool. That's right. They're usually unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's so interesting uh, to to have you on now because I have a, a seven year old uh, and I was holding off on letting him watch Back to the Future for so long. It's my favorite movie, and I, I really wanted him to be old enough to appreciate it. Appreciate it, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, thankfully, he's he's 
you know, and now he is right. Yeah. He's pretty film literate and I appreciate that uh, about him. And so we sat down and watched it and, you know, as a kid, I watched it and I instantly became fascinated with time travel and just adored the movie. And as I, as I got older and I got into film and film writing and, and, you know, all of it, uh, I realized this is one of the most tightly written scripts ever. I mean, it's just such a tightly written movie. It could be the one film to teach in film school about the structure oh, do, of a three-act movie. It. They do use it. Um, uh, and, and what's nice about our technique is that we try to make a lot of this stuff invisible. Um, and that's what you end up appreciating. You say, oh, my God, that was the setup for Uncle Jailbird Joey. You know, yeah. I never saw that coming, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know. Twin Pines Mall is now Lone Pines Mall. And that's just really, that's just really subtle in there. And, you know, a lot of people don't ever see that until the second or third time they see the show. Right. Yeah. There's so many little details like that. But uh, not only that, it's, it's the exposition scenes as well. Like I was watching this with my seven-year-old. And so I was watching it with a different perspective this time, seeing how much of this pretty heady concept of time travel, you know, he really absorbed and those exposition moments, those key moments, the, the way you, you've written those, you're giving the audience not only the beats of, you know, the, the characters and the plot and what needs to happen for, for everybody, but you're also explaining time travel to the audience. And it never feels like exposition. It never feels like an exposition dump. It just feels like natural. I mean, obviously, with Doc and Marty, that relationship must have helped where you have this well, expert. Sure. This is this is a this is a kind of a classic uh, dramatic trope, if you will, or device. Actually, is better better word uh, to get exposition out to bring somebody new into a situation and have to have explained. So, uh, one of my most favorite uses of that, uh, two of them actually. One of them is uh, the original taking of Pelham one two three. It starts off, and you see this young guy. And he's preparing for his test to be a motorman. And this guy's drilling him. And he's just rattling this thing off. A regular subway car is 90 feet long and 30, 20 feet wide. And it, you know, the motorman switches this and they're just rattling this off. But you're getting exposition, but you're understanding this is a good way to present it because I don't know this stuff. And this guy's practicing. And if you remember the movie Nine to Five, and this is this device used all the time where, you know, Dolly Parton is the new person who comes to work. So the other girls have to explain, OK, this is the boss. This is where you go to get coffee. This is what goes on here. Never go into that room. All that stuff. And it's natural because they're explaining it to somebody who doesn't know. Right. And what you never want to do as a writer is to have the characters talk about stuff that they both already know. It's boring and you just say, well, people would never talk like that. Very true. Very true. And it's interesting because your person in the film that is kind of representative of the audience. uh, Yeah, it's Marty. Yeah, it's Marty. You know, you got that in The Godfather, too. The the great scene when, uh, you know, Kay, they're at the wedding and Kay says to Michael, who's that scary guy over there? Uh, Oh, that's Luca Brasi. He helps my father. And he just, you know, she's the audience and everybody's saying, Oh, okay. All right. And then you're set up for all this stuff later. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So to, uh, to get into the nuts and bolts of, of the, the process of writing back to the future, 
the process must have been uh, a little different than than kind of the average script being written because you worked on this with Robert Zemeckis, who was also the director. Um, and I feel like that shorthand of writing with the director involved, does that allow you to kind of shortcut some of the, the descriptives, some of the, the language in the script? Yes and no. I mean, the writing with a partner, whether the partner is a director or not, is always very helpful because it helps you to do something called killing your darlings. Um, it helps you not be self-indulgent because if I fall in love with some moment or something and Bob Zemeckis says, well, I don't get it, Bob. What, what, what's the idea here? I said, well, I think this is a good way to do this. And he says, okay, well, I see what you're getting at, but wouldn't it be better if we did this? So there's a give and take that you get. And, and at this point, Bob is wearing his writer's hat. Because remember, when you start off writing a script, you know, we didn't know what was going to be entailed in getting this thing off the ground. So you're writing for possibly the dumbest audience out there, studio executives. <laughs> <laughs> so you really have to make it clear and make it understandable to these folks uh, what you're trying to get across. So having somebody to bounce things off really uh, is is helpful, whether they're the director, whether they're producer, whether they're just your buddy, um, probably not your mother. That's not a good choice. But, um yeah, that's because film film is a collaborative. It's a collaborative medium, and with two people in the room, um, each of you are the other's audience, and it is an audience. Uh, it's an audience medium, so that's really important. That, yeah, that makes a absolute sense. And and you you brought up a great point about uh, you know being a collaborative process because. I mean, there's the old trope saying of uh, a film is made three times when it's written, when it's shot and when it's edited. Exactly. I guess that brings me to a, a, a very nerdy question. We know some of the bigger changes in the script uh, from the original script to to the filming process. Right. Uh, you know, the DeLorean was originally a, a refrigerator. Uh, the bomb testing site instead of the lightning right. strike. Right. Yeah. So with those changes, how involved were you in those moments? You know, you say kill your dar darlings. Were Was there something that you were really married to that you had to change? No, um, a lot of times, I mean, I was involved with everything 100% because remember, I'm also the producer of the movie too, right, right? Right, So, and, you know, Bob and I trust each other implicitly with 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 filmmaking. You know, we both know where, that, that our priorities are, let's make the best possible film that we can. And so, uh, were there things that we would have liked to done that we did that we cut out? Well, sure, you can see those in the deleted scenes. Um, and when you put the movie together, as you say, it's the next stage of writing. We had this, we had, we filmed this cigarette commercial that, uh, that Lorraine's family watches while they're watching the honeymooners. Uh, and it, it's hilarious. We have this, this, uh, surgeon coming out of the operating room and he says, after doing three lung operations in a row, uh, I like to relax and light up with a Sir Randolph and he pulls out the cigarette <laughs> and he, it's, it's just great. But we put it in the movie and we watched it. It was like, okay, we're stopping the movie to watch this goofy cigarette commercial. And as funny and great as it was, we said, cut it. So uh, those, those are the type of things where it sounds like a good idea and you try it out and you think it's going to be a good idea. Uh, and then you put it in and you realize 
nope, not a good idea. And then the opposite, this is an interesting kind of observation. There is a one two-minute sequence in the movie that really doesn't advance story and has very little to do with character. And that's the Johnny B. Good scene. Because okay, okay. Uh, Marty's, you know, Marty's gotten his parents to kiss. The photograph is restored. He could just head off to the clock tower at that point, and nobody would know that there was anything else there. Yeah. And we thought about whether we should just cut that out. And our film editor said, no, this is too great. You got to put this in front of an audience and see what they think of it. See see how it plays. Yeah. Because I have a feeling the audience is just going to love this. They're, they're going to be in a mood to just kind of take a breath and celebrate the fact that after all this insanity, um, Marty had succeeded. And of course he was right. But that's kind of a, that's a slightly self-indulgent moment, if you will. Uh, but it turns out to be, you know, one of the most iconic things in, in the movie. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. And, and, uh, I guess I always viewed it as kind of a, like a victory moment, the celebratory moment. Well, exactly. And that's what, that's what it turned out to be. Yeah. That's what it turned out to be. I mean, Marty is saying in the beginning, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to play my music in front of anybody. Right. And so this is the payoff of that. Yes. He gets, he gets that chance and he gets to do, he gets to do what he loves and so forth. Um, yeah. But again, it, if, if you didn't have it, the story would still work. But again, this is one of those things. And, and this happens in movies a lot where you just say, wow, it's a, it's a great crowd pleasing moment. And you don't want to not have the movie without that in it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's uh Oh, man, there's there's so many little detail moments that uh, I th- I think I'm realizing talking to you right now. I can't believe this movie uh, that that, <laughs> that has uh, you know the, our Marty McFly going back to 1955. You really did resist the temptation of the jokes uh, of of we know what happens, right? I think we see that a lot in um, in anything that takes place, uh, you know, in a, in a period piece kind of way, there often right. is a, a temptation to, you know, pepper in some jokes about, uh, you know, what we know now. Right. So like right. The, the cigarettes being right. harmful and, and the surgeon, uh, you know, pitching those cigarettes. It's, it's fascinating that you guys, you guys went through this whole movie and I don't think there's a, I think there's one joke maybe uh, that kind well, of has that awareness. Throwaway things like, yeah. like, you know, do you have a television set? Yeah, well, we have two of them. Wow, you must be rich, right? I mean, it's just it's it's funny. It's a joke. It says it says something about the difference between the fifties and the eighties. Yeah. But what we were always looking for was to show the difference between the fifties and the eighties, plus the attitude that we thought about a lot when we got started was to say, yeah, as adults, we can look back on an earlier time and say. Hey, wouldn't it be cool to time travel back there? But Marty ends up in the 50s purely by accident. And he doesn't want to be there. And he really doesn't like it. Uh, <laughs> and that's, you know, and, and that's not usual for a time travel movie. Usually right. in a time travel movie, the time traveler consciously decides I'm going back or I'm going forward to this period in time. Uh, and Marty didn't want to have any anything at all to do with this. So He's just saying, "Oh man, this is such a screwy place." You know, I want to get I want to get the hell out of here. Um, and so that's his attitude, 
and that and we filter the movie through as you said he's he's our guide uh he's our guide to the 50s too so yeah, yeah. he sees all this stuff and he's looking at these texaco guys coming out there and he's never seen anything like that at all you know and the kid on the pogo stick well maybe he's seen that but really he's like <laughs> I think I would be okay. I think I would be okay if I if I was dropped into 1955. The only the only thing I would struggle with every day is the inability to take my cell phone into the bathroom. That would be the thing I need. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Woody Allen famously once said that uh, as far as time travel was concerned, he would never visit any period that didn't have indoor plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good rule. I think that's a good <laughs> self rule for any time traveler. <laughs> now. <laughs> When you were writing, you know, you wrote the the first movie um, as a, as a singular entity, and then the request for a sequel comes in, right? And and you wrote two and three together. Now those those little seeds that you were planting in the first movie, like the Lone Pine Mall, uh, you know, it was originally the Twin Pine Mall, and all that all that stuff. It definitely felt like two and three amped up more of those little. Uh, those little seeds, those little fun things, because I think in two, for the first time, we get to see a much more direct correlation between the actions and consequences of the time traveler, if that makes sense. Well, yes, that's that's true. And, and, you know, part two really is more of a classic kind of time travel story, which is if you use time travel uh, for your own personal gain, it's going to backfire on. I mean, that's, that's a very familiar time travel trope. Right. Um, and part of the thing that made the first movie unique and unusual is that, as I say, Marty didn't want to be there. And he wasn't trying to straighten out his father for any other reason than so that he could just go home. He wasn't thinking about, is this going to make my father's life any better? No, it didn't ever occur to him. All he was trying to do was make sure that he was going to be born so that he could go home. So the fact that it turns out when he gets back that there's this sort of bonus uh, from the consequences of his action, uh, and it's a good thing, that's unusual in time travel. Because, you know, you got Ray Bradbury's classic Sound of Thunder. You know, people are going back in time to uh, go on a dinosaur safari, and the guy steps on a butterfly, and the next thing we know, equivalent of the Nazis, have won the election in the time period that he had left. And it's right. all because of the butterfly effect, which got its name from that story. And those, those little, uh, those little seeds of action and consequence, uh, kind of come through in nice little details too. just fun, little fun, little seeds that, that are there. And what I love about that is every viewing, I will catch something new. Every time. I mean, I've seen these movies so many countless times and every single time I was watching it with my son last week, uh, we were on part two. And for the first time, I realized uh, that all of the for sale signs on the street in 1985, the alternate 1985. They all, really, yeah, exactly. The Tannen real estate thing. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I never noticed that before. <laughs> and you must have had so much fun kind of planting those seeds in uh, in part two and in part three. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. We sure did. Uh, did you catch, uh, are you aware that in the front of Biff's Casino, there's a sign that says smoking required? 
I didn't catch that. I didn't catch smoking required. I love that. <laughs> now, it, you know what? I did catch something for the first time when I was watching it with my son. And uh, and I spoke with my producing partner, Lee Leshin, who who you know as well. Definitely grew up. Yeah. And, uh, and I pointed this out to him. And he had never caught this before. And I had to send him screenshots to prove it. He didn't believe me at first, of course. Uh, but uh, in alternate 85, we see Jennifer's dad's station wagon in the driveway, just tucked right. off it's in the corner. Yeah. 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 And it's and it's been in a in an accident. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, and then I was like, wait a minute, hang on. And and uh, and then we get to the end of part three where they drop Jennifer off uh, again. And it's fine. And the car's and it's, fine. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. And I had never noticed that before because there's never a shot in the movie that kind of calls attention to it. It's just exactly. suddenly in the background. Exactly. And that's the hallmark of our style, which is we don't want to hit anybody over the head with it. Um, and as you say, the more you look at it, the more of these little details that you'll see. We said we need to put this in there because we're thinking about everything. You know, you're, the amount of time that it takes to, to do a, to shoot a scene, you're going to think about every single detail. Uh, and there's some that got by, but most of them, um, I mean, here's one of my favorites is that if you, in the first movie, in the 1985 uh, scene with Marty and Jennifer on the town square, you know, you look at the, you look at the clock and the ledge, the ledge is perfect. When he comes back uh, at the end of the movie, oh my god, it's just broken. Oh, Bob, <laughs> I, I never, I honestly, I didn't catch it, and and <laughs> that level of detail makes me so happy. It's like it's like you guys were able to see what this would become in terms of you know such an iconic series of films. No, you know what? It really what it was was <laughs> our attitude about making a movie is we got to make a movie that we want to see. We have to make a movie for us uh, because we have to assume that our taste is close enough to the general public that that if we satisfy ourselves, we'll satisfy the audience. So we said, OK, we're we're making, you know, William Friedkin famously once said, you know, I make movies for the guys I went to high school with. Right. <laughs> so um, that was our attitude was say, OK, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Wouldn't it be cool if we did that? Well, nobody's going to see that. Well, so what? We'll see it. We'll know that it's there. Now, one of them that we missed, um, it's really hard to spot. When Marty writes the letter to Doc in the cafe, if you look very carefully at where the words are on the, on the paper, in 1985, when Doc unfolds the letter, one of the words of or the or something is actually on the next line. So we never saw it. The editors never saw it. We get a letter from a kid from Japan, uh, and he sends us screenshots and said, look at this, look at this. <laughs> so all the time we were shooting Back to the Future 2, we would say, well, is anybody going to see that? Yeah, that kid from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, I mean, it, it all crumbles now. <laughs> With of being on another line, I mean, it changes my entire viewing experience. <laughs> now I'm taken out entirely. <laughs> Well, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, but I do have a question about the uh, about Jennifer's dad's car. Right? It made sure. me realize, hey, we don't know what happened to Jennifer in Alternate Eighty Five. We never find right. out where Jennifer is, what she's doing. Please don't tell me Jennifer's. Uh, you know, she was killed in that car accident in the car. You know what? We never, we never really thought about that. It was just one of those things where 
we assumed that she was fine. Yeah. Um, you know, but whether she would have been having a relationship with Marty, probably not. Um, she might be with some other guy, but there were, there were certain things. There's a deleted scene in part two uh, when old Biff comes back from 1955 to 2015. You see him stagger out of the DeLorean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he just kind of falls down and you think, okay, he's having a heart attack or something from the stress of time travel. The longer version of that right. showed being erased from existence because something that he did in 1955 shortened his life. Now, we previewed the movie with Biff being erased from existence, but an audience was completely confused yeah. because that's something that only works the second time you've seen the movie to know what Biff did. So we decided, okay, we'll just cut that out. We'll let the audience assume that uh, he's having a stroke or a heart heart attack or something, and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and that was one of those things where we were too far ahead of the audience, uh, and that wasn't going to work. I know I knew about the deleted scene and it always it, it always did raise a question with me about the uh, the the cane tip, the the handle of the cane uh, still being in the DeLorean, yeah. knowing that he faded away. But cutting the, the, the scene of him fading gets rid of that question, really. That question too, right. Right. Yeah. And for uh, for anybody who is interested to know the alternate history of <clears throat> Biff, what happened to him when he got the almanac? Uh, we did a comic book series for IDW called Biff to the Future, which I believe is still available as a graphic novel. If you can't find it on Amazon, you can probably find it on eBay or one of the you know old comic book sites. It was a six-part six-part series. It was collected into a graphic novel, and it starts with Biff getting the almanac, and it follows that entire uh, alternate timeline and takes you through the history of Biff how he got gambling legalized, his relationship with Richard Nixon, um, how he got Watergate stopped. I mean, it's, 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 it's really perverse and wonderful. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite things that we did in, in the comic book series. I co-wrote it. And if, you, if, you're, if you're totally back to the future nerd and you don't know about that, check it out. Yeah, I uh, I read that when it came out, and uh, and I I can co-sign on that recommendation. It is it's a very fun little world to be back in, especially from the perspective of you know the villain essentially, right? Uh, although I would say I guess maybe time itself is the villain in uh, in Back to the Future because there's always that ticking clock, literally. Uh, <laughs> and my my one super nerd moment, my question. Uh, and I wasn't even going to ask this question, and I'm already embarrassed to ask it. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Come on, you. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, so, given all of the uh, events in Back to the Future one, two, and three, right, and uh, at the beginning of two, the end of one, uh, Doc comes back. He says, "We got to go back to the future. It, it's to do with your kids, uh, you know." And and this series of events uh, with the break in and uh, you know Marty Junior getting in trouble causes a timeline that uh, you know the entire McFly line is kind of ruined by this um, but throughout two and three we get this uh, we get this kind of subplot of of Marty <laughs> needing to back down from people right needing to not not be goaded yeah, into I, something 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because the the he's going to get in a car accident and you know break his hand and owe a lot of money. Why didn't Doc say, "Hey, Marty, don't don't get in the car that day because <laughs> because it, it's the next day it happens." And now I know the the answer is because if that happened, the movie would be ten minutes long. I <laughs> I know that, but uh, it always it always struck me. Uh, you know, why didn't Doc give him a, a warning here? Or was Doc being kind of uh, all-knowing in this moment, kind of, I know things work out for you with this car accident? Well, we never spent any time really thinking about that because it's also possible that Doc didn't research that. Gotcha. He researched the kids and saw, oh, my God, this is a crisis. Um, We've got to do something about this. Uh, And perhaps Doc was thinking, Maybe it's not a good idea to mess with time at this point. Maybe Doc was hoping that Marty would learn a lesson throughout the adventure of this uh, and figure it out for himself, which, of course, is the better way to do it. Because if somebody tells you not to do something, um, that doesn't necessarily change your character, right? Right, Um, right. Marty had to learn that, you know, losing his temper – uh, and uh, reacting when every, anybody calls him a chicken is, is not a wise thing to do. And so if Doc says, don't get in that car or don't go there someday, that doesn't mean he's still not going to do something else that's just as crazy later on because somebody calls him a chicken. Of course. Yeah, of course. absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know what? And I'm sorry that I brought it up. Uh- <laughs> no. you, if you brought it up, lots of other people do. You know, I you, yeah. One of the questions that comes up a lot is, well, how come how come George and Lorraine don't recognize their son as this guy that they met in the 50s? And, you know, all you got to do is just really think about it a little bit. Marty was in 1955 for seven or eight days total. Exactly. And yeah. he only saw Lorraine and George, you know, for three or four of those days. He didn't he didn't spend any time in the high school. They don't have a photograph of them. They remember this thing at the dance. Sure, they remember that. They remember probably there was this kid named Calvin Klein, and they probably get a big laugh out of the fact, oh, isn't that funny? There's a a clothes designer shows up named Calvin Klein. But in terms of being able to recognize this guy in 1955 as their own kid, that doesn't even compute to you, especially if you're a parent and you think about that. Or you just think back to somebody that was in your grade school for a week or a month or even a year. Can you remember them? Really? Right. Without, you can't. Or if you saw some kid today who looked a little bit like them, what is your first response going to be? That guy must be a time traveler. <laughs> no, that's not what you're going to say. No, you're just going to say, hey, what a coincidence. That guy has a, has a physical resemblance to somebody I knew 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, uh, and we see in Back to the Future too. Uh, it's very easy to look like Marty McFly. Uh, all of his, you know, both of his kids look exactly like him. You know, right. I, I and I think that brings me to the fandom in a in a fun way. It must be bizarre to have this piece of work that you've done uh, picked over, however lovingly, for decades now, and you know, have people that truly, truly love this thing but still want to come to you and ask silly questions like, why didn't Doc tell Marty about the car accident, you know? Well, but these are good questions. They're not, 
They're not stupid questions. These are questions that come about because people have spent a lot of time thinking about that and wondering. Because, look, one of the reasons I think that Back to the Future is so powerful and uh, it still works today is because everybody asks the question, what if I did this instead of that? What if I went out with him instead of that guy over there? What if I did take that job instead of going to California? You know, all those sort of things. People, you lay in bed and you think about, I wish I should have said that. I wish I said that. So Back to the Future allows you to see um, people's timelines if they made different decisions. And that's just a very powerful thing to think about because we always are thinking about that stuff. Of course, the other thing is, what did my parents do on their first date, right? Everybody everybody thinks about that question. And that, I think, is at the core of Back to the Future, why it works you know, now, 35, 36 years later, why it works in every country in the world, um, in, in every culture. It doesn't matter. It, it's, it's, it's a universal human thing. I was explaining to somebody else, why is... Romeo and Juliet, the most well-known of Shakespeare's plays. Why do they keep remaking it? Because the core idea of Romeo and Juliet is my parents don't want me to hang out with that person. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, you boil it down to its simplest thought, that's what it is. And everybody says, yeah, I'm, yeah, my parents have told me not to go out with that person or uh, they don't want that kid hanging around my house. Whatever it is, right? Everybody can say, yeah, I get that. I get that. And so it doesn't matter that it's, you know, 16th century Verona uh, and people, people are talking in iambic pentameter. doesn't matter. It's a core idea that's very powerful. Although I, I will say now being a, a grown up and a parent, uh, I, I would say I'd love to see a version of Romeo and Juliet from the perspective of the parents going, oh, my God, these kids, they're 16 years old. They're so dramatic. So dramatic. Guys, settle down. Settle down. Just sleep on it for one night. Think about it for a minute. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I think, I mean, there's so many magic things about Back to the Future. But uh, you bring up a fantastic point. Such a big concept with time travel brought down to a very small story point of a personal relationship with your family uh, is something that I think everybody can understand. And, you know, importantly for, for kids watching it, whether they were kids in the eighties or kids today, like my, my son, he can understand, Oh, there's time, there's time travel. It's this big idea, but we're not jumping all over the place. We're not going to, you know, crazy right. time history, you yeah. know, okay, if you don't know that Ronald Reagan was a president, that's a joke that you might not laugh at, but so what, you know, somebody was president. You yeah. don't know he was an actor or whatever. You don't know uh, that there was a brand of soda called Tab or Pepsi Free. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, it's the it's it's the guts of it that matter. Right. Um, and every yeah. kid can understand, you know, oh, my parents were young because that's all yeah. parents do. Parents constantly tell shocking, their kids when I was a kid, you know, it's a shocking thing when you finally understand. Oh, my God, my dad was eight years old. and You know, he fell down and he skinned his knee. Uh, you know, and, and somebody gave him a black eye, really, you know, this, these godlike people, they, they were, they were screw ups just like me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, it's beautiful. I, you know, here we are, we're talking about this movie 35, 36 years from when it was, uh, when it was created that, uh, 
that level of an iconic film, did you have any idea like you know script writing you write scripts sometimes they go sometimes they don't sometimes they they get the green light no idea yeah we had no idea and to really indicate that we had no idea remember we shot you know five and a half weeks of this movie with the wrong actor playing (laughs) sure sure i think that had we not made that casting uh decision to to replace eric stoltz with michael j fox you and i probably wouldn't be having this conversation today because, yeah. you know, there's a reason why actors get the big bucks. Movie stars get the big bucks because the best ones have this ability to have people identify with them, to make people watch them. Uh, and that's a rare commodity uh, that can work on a two dimensional screen. So the fact that Bob and I had this experience of seeing 40 minutes of the movie cut together and it not working with the wrong actor um it i think is a real uh seminal part of our careers to just be able to say okay we actually got to experience this other timeline where somebody else was marty mcfly and now we're going to do it again and we're going to have a different timeline and one timeline was going downhill and the other one took us uphill so I like to think that it gave us a certain amount of humility uh, and a certain amount of of respect and to remind ourselves, hey, you could write the best script possible, but if you put the wrong people in it, it, it's it's not going to work. So film is a collaborative effort. Uh, You know, our musical in London, same thing. It's very collaborative. You have to have the right people involved. You have to. It's not just one thing it's everything right right and i and, heard that uh eric stoltz he, he auditioned for the musical is that true <laughs> <laughs> it, i think it's so fascinating timeline <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I do i it's so interesting you know when when someone's kind of becoming a back to the future fan that moment of realizing whoa eric stoltz was you know and there was there was 40 minutes is there ever going to be a time when we see a rough cut, like a full rough cut of that 40 minutes. We've never destroyed the footage because we recognize that it is of historical significance. But as long as Eric Stoltz is alive, we're not going to put that out there because um, every time we do something about that, you know, everybody just kind of dumps on Eric. Yeah, and, that's not yeah. cool. and the Internet can be really cool. And we're not going to, we don't want to subject anybody to that. I mean, it, it's, people can be really mean. And yeah. so it's, it, it'll someday, if, if you live long enough, uh, it may, it may find its way to your, uh, to some screen somewhere. Um, but in the meantime, um, our attitude is, hey, Eric Stoltz is a human being. He's still a working actor. He's a working director. You know, there's no reason to do something that's going to make people pile on him. Yeah, um, yeah. Look bad. And, you know, we're not going to be those guys. No, you make a great point there. And I and I think it's wonderful that you're you're so thoughtful about that, because it's a it's a fun uh, piece of trivia for us. Back to the future fans and thinking, oh, wow, Eric Stoltz as as Marty McFly. You know, what a wacky thing. Um, 
but uh, yeah, to to be Eric Stoltz, to be like, well, hang on, <laughs> I was uh, I was I was doing a performance, and it just it wasn't the right uh, it wasn't the right fit, uh, you know. And then he becomes not Michael J. Fox, you know. Yeah, um, right. I hope he's not remembered just for that, right? The no, no, I think he's he's had some remember, fantastic he, performances. We only remember Pete Best because he was replaced by Ringo, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's fair. That is fair. Uh, with the legacy of Back to the Future, and especially now uh, in current pop culture, um, remakes, reboots, everything is happening. So sequels... Sure, we know that uh, you know the, the really the the sequel to Back to the Future, you know, Part Four would be uh, what the Telltale Games, right? That's kind of the back to that's that's so kind of the right, four. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of a Back to the Future Part Four. Yeah, yeah, and you wrote. Uh, and then we have then we have the comic books, right? Uh, if you you know if you read the whole thirty six issues of the regular comic book series, it fills in a lot of fills in a lot of holes and uh, and can kind of does some of that. Yeah, um, yeah, but you know, people say, "Well, what about a Back to the Future 4? And I always say, "Hey, we can't. You want to see Back to the Future without Michael J. Fox?" And they said, "Well, no." Right. And then right. You say, "Okay, well, then you understand why there's no reason why we should be thinking about doing that." Uh, and do you want to see Back to the Future with somebody else being Marty McFly? Never. Probably not. You know, although maybe you could find somebody, but it's one of those things where you just kind of say, "Let's leave it alone." Yeah. You know, we will be the guys that just leave it alone because the movies, the movies are really good. Um, people really like them. And I have so many fans tell me that they are so respectful of the fact that we don't uh, we're not milking it. We don't want to do a spinoff. We don't want to do something else. And let's face it. We have seen all these movies where they go back to the well too many times. Right. Um, and, you know, it's up to you to make certain decisions about whether that was worthwhile or not. Do we want to see Indiana Jones being an 80 year old guy? <laughs> don't. You know, it didn't right. work for me, but maybe some people did. So, um, no, I'm absolutely with you. I'm definitely one of those fans. that's like, no, 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 please don't, please don't. Uh, because I, I really, really, really respect and appreciate the fact that you guys have that mentality of we've, we already made it. It's here. And I also think it's one of the very few movies that people bring up this topic of, of a remake or a reboot or a sequel. Um, it's one of the very few where there is actual physical proof that putting someone else in the role of Marty McFly doesn't work. We've well, seen it. We've seen it not work. Let's not, let's not go all the way out there because uh, we have Back to the Future, the musical, uh, now playing uh, at the Adelphi Theater in London. Sure, sure. This was a decision that we, Bob and I made, that we felt, okay, people want to revisit the world of Back to the Future, but let's do it in a different medium. So we retell the story of the first movie uh, as a musical. And the cast is fantastic. Holly Dobson plays Marty McFly, and you're absolutely, totally comfortable with him as Marty McFly. Roger Bard as Doc Brown works great. He's fantastic. All the cast, they're terrific. Um, they are doing things in the musical that couldn't have been done on the screen, but nobody has any problem buying the fact that these people are those characters uh, because the material is powerful enough and everybody goes to the theater knowing, okay, we are seeing a theatrical musical 
based on a movie we love. And we believe, and audiences are telling us, that we successfully captured the spirit of Back to the Future in this musical. And yeah. people come out of the musical and they're just delighted and happy and over the moon. Uh, everybody who worked on the musical, whether they're on stage or backstage, um, they're all fans. And they all wanted to make this truly a a spiritual retelling of the original, you know, as did I, as did our director, John Rando, uh, Al Silvestri and Glenn Ballard, who, who co-wrote the, co-wrote the songs. So we had all this going for us. And so you'll, you'll go see that musical. People go see the musical and they'll say, yeah, God, yes, I totally buy these characters. Oh, but sure. I, I think that the, the different medium helps a lot in that uh, allowance, right? In that, in that right. ability. But, you know, look at, look at Harry Potter, you know, after, uh, after they replaced Dumbledore, um, when, when Richard Harris died, um, you didn't have any problem. You didn't have a problem with, with Michael Gabon being Dumbledore. Sure. It worked fine. Sure. You know, so, and everybody gets it. You know, we, we had to replace Jennifer because Claudia Wells was unable to do it. Yeah. Are there times when you are tempted uh, especially with special effects having changed so much since then. And I mean, you guys were pioneering some of those effects. Uh, is there ever a time where you're tempted to say, well, now the story that I would like to tell could be made? Is there, is well, there, are, oh, go ahead. Are, are there any time travel ideas that I have in my head? Yeah. yeah. Um, am, am I constantly playing around with them? Yeah. Um, are they back to the future? No. Um, uh-huh. And they shouldn't be Back to the Future because people say, well, I think you should do a Back to the Future movie where they do this. And I'll say, well, why don't you make it an original movie and write it yourself? Yeah, yeah. Because then people don't have any preconceived notions. You know, you go to you go to a sequel to a movie that you love. You know, you set a really high bar, right? Oh, this better be as good as what I saw. And yeah. when people say to me, they want to see a Back to the Future Part 4. I think what they're really saying is, I want to see a movie that makes me feel as good as I felt the first time I saw Back to the Future. Yeah, That's what they want. Um, and so um, there's two ways you can have that experience. Go to London and see the musical, or keep your eye on your uh, on your concerts in, in your city. Uh, and when Back to the Future in concert shows up, go see that. Right, because that's right. where we have a live symphony orchestra playing the score as the movie is projected, and what you're going to get from these experiences is being in a full theater with hundreds, if not a thousand or more people, watching this story unfold. Yeah, and the audience experience is what you don't get when you watch it at home, and. That audience communal experience is extremely powerful in a movie like Back to the Future. You know, now you watch another classic movie like, you know, off the top of my head, uh, 12 Angry Men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really matter whether you watch that on a big screen with an audience or not. Sure. Um, yeah. It was, it was originally a play. Sidney uh, Lumet adapted into a brilliant movie. Um, you know, but on the waterfront, maybe if you saw that in the theater, yeah, with an audience, certainly The Godfather would. Mm. Uh, you go see a movie. I remember seeing Straw Dogs uh, when it came out with an audience, 
And my God, the last 20 minutes of that, the audience is insane. It's just, it's just great. I mean, it's, it's a rough movie, but it's great. And I, there, there's, there's, there is a third option if you want to recapture that moment of seeing Back to the Future for the t- first time, uh, and that's a head injury. You just get a good, solid <laughs> head injury. And <laughs> Bob, Bob and I actually fantasized many times, you know, gee, would it be possible uh, to go to a hypnotist uh, and have them erase your experience of the first time you saw some great movie? Yeah. So then you'll have that experience again. And you know what? That brings me to uh, one of my last questions, uh, because you've been so patient and kind. Um, if you could see Back to the Future as an audience member in some like disconnect yourself from the the creative process of it. I, it's it's an odd question. It's a philosophical question. But really, like, what is the, the story of Back to the Future to you if you were an audience member? Well, I think all these all these notes that we've been talking about, all these things that we're hitting. I remember the first time. We sneak previewed the movie in San Jose. This was a totally cold audience. There was no teaser. There was We never had a real trailer, actually. All they knew was they were going to go see a movie that had Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd in it. And that's it. They knew nothing else. They didn't even know it's about time travel. So when they're watching the movie for the first time and we're all sitting in the audience, how's the, how's the audience going to react? How's the audience going to react? And Einstein goes in that DeLorean and the DeLorean disappears. There's a gasp in the audience. Did something bad happen to that dog? Hmm. God, they didn't kill that dog. Did they? <laughs> um, because that's one thing you never, you never, never kill the kill dog. dog, never kill the right? dog. I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. Right. <laughs> it's even, it seems like it's even worse than killing a baby, killing a dog. Um, <laughs> Ooh, a baby dog. Oh no. <laughs> a puppy, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, that's that's you know the whole John Wick series, right? Right, yeah. You're doing this because we killed your puppy. Yes, <laughs> I'm killing 250 million Russians. <laughs> um, and as an audience, we're like, yes, absolutely. So um, there was a, there was a sigh of relief when the dog was okay, but the audience didn't get what the movie was until the cafe scene when Marty recognizes his dad. And there was this palpable thing in the audience where you just felt everybody saying, oh, my God, this is so cool. This is so great. I get this. I understand where we're going with this. Oh, my God. They've never seen anything like this before. So when you talk to me about, well, what would the Bob Gale experience be? Yeah. Well, is this the Bob Gale experience where he's seen advertising for the movie and he goes uh, and he pays is eight bucks uh, in 1985 or six bucks, whatever it costs, uh, knowing that he's going to go see a time travel movie? Or is this the Bob Gale and the sneak preview audience who knew nothing about it? So the, the sneak preview audience is the absolute cold reaction yeah. that to this day is totally unforgettable to me. Of um, course, of so, course. Uh, I, I was in the audience's head when they were watching the movie, we all were yeah. uh, saying, are they going to get this? Are they going to laugh at this? Are they going to understand this? And the last shot of the movie with the car flying away was in black and white because ILM hadn't finished it. Audience, it didn't matter to them. They jumped to their feet. They were going insane. Wow. Um, it was because they got it. They were with it and it worked. 
I mean, that is just a, a beautiful um, image to kind of uh, wrap this podcast up. And, and I just so wonderful. And uh, Bob, thank you for, you know, doing this podcast, but also, you know, for making one of the most special things in my life and so many other people's lives. And also, thank you for making so many cool little accoutrements to the movie i mean I, above my head right now i have a hoverboard and uh it's just it's so wonderful and and magical well look we we and we embrace our fans we really do we appreciate you guys uh you have no idea how much we appreciate you because it's the fans that are keeping all this alive and um you know i i, I like to talk about the uh, original Nintendo 8-bit video game that they made it back to the future. One of the absolute worst video games. I was going to say, made. is this a public apology for that game? <laughs> I told, at the time I told, I did interviews. I told people not to buy it. Yeah. It was a piece of crap. Um, I wish I had seen that interview because one I, of the I first. I wish I had too. Yeah. It was, it was, it was so bad. Oh, it was so bad. And the, the sequel games were a little bit better, but not much. And it took telltale to do it right, right, because those guys were fans of the movie. And there are a bunch of board games that have come out in the last five years that have been done by people that really respect the franchise. Exactly. Yeah. Because they're fans and they respect the franchise and their attitude is, hey, we want to get this right. We don't want to screw this up. This is not a money grab for us. We really care. We want to see a Back to the Future board game that correctly captures the spirit of Back to the Future, and they do this, and it's great. Uh, there was an author, um, and this is one that I recommend. I don't know if you have this book or not. It's called William Shakespeare's Back to the Future. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, somebody gave that to me as a gift. Yeah, it, it's just hilarious. And it he, really he is. Did, he did William Shakespeare's uh, Star Wars, uh, William Shakespeare's Mean Girls. Uh, he did a whole series of these things where he takes the story of the movie and he writes it as if Shakespeare wrote it as a play. Right. And the, these things are hilarious. And so, yeah, he does this because he's a fan of these movies uh, and he knows that there's an audience of people that want to just, you know, get a big kick out of this stuff. And, you know, we try to have a really good sense of humor about it to say, okay, yeah. Okay. You want to have a little fun with back to future? God, guess, go ahead. You know, the, yeah. you see all these great pop culture references um, you know, I fell out of my chair uh, in Avengers Endgame when uh, when Ant Man says, uh, "Give me Back to the Future bullshit." And and that's one of the things that keeps it so magical to me, and I'm sure so many other people. You, you know, I always get excited when uh, you know another little Back to the Future reference is made, or the DeLorean pops up in a video game, or something like that. I'm so excited, um, but it's always been handled with care. Uh, I mean, obviously, except for that that Nintendo game. Uh, and I got to tell you, uh, it, it was my first experience with being objectively aware of like these things that I love can disappoint sometimes. Right. Uh, I was a kid. I saved up birthday and Christmas money. I went to the video game store with my mom. I was just a little, little, little kid. And, uh, and I got the game and I was so excited. I brought it home and I popped it in. And there was that moment where I went, oh, Right. This isn't the same thing as the movie, right? 
<laughs> so you also gave me an important moment then. You allowed me to grow up a little bit there. Not only not the movie, it's not even a very good game. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go back to Mario. <laughs> Uh, But the last thing I want to mention is uh, is a a, a wonderful cause. Uh, It's the We Spark Cancer Support Center. Yes. Yeah, they're so wonderful. And it it was founded by uh, Wendy Jo Sperber, right? We played Linda McFly. That's right, Uh, Marty's sister. Right. She was kind of one of the members of the Zemecca Scale uh, Repertory Company. Uh, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand. That's uh, right. It's a wonderful movie. Uh, And that's where she met Nancy Allen. Uh, her co-star in there, uh, Nancy now runs uh, the WeSpark Foundation. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, uh, WeSpark.org. Uh, yes. It's it's a great thing to donate to. Um, they help the families and people who have cancer uh, get through it, uh, however that turns out. Uh, I'm a big promoter of it. Of course, we've got the Michael J. Fox Parkinson's Foundation. Everybody knows about that. Of but course, I'm yeah. very happy that I'm very happy that you brought up WeSpark. Because uh, uh, Wendy died of breast cancer, and before she died, she realized that uh, a support center for the families of people of cancer victims was something that didn't exist. Had this vision and made it happen, and it's a very, very successful organization now. Yeah, and I, I highly recommend uh, any any listeners to head to WeSpark.org. Uh, you can find out more there and, and uh, you know, definitely throw in a donation. Uh, it's a wonderful cause. It's a fan- fantastic foundation. I think it's a beautiful thing. I very much appreciate that. Yeah, and, uh, and finally, Bob, I, I can't believe I had this conversation. Uh, as a guy who grew up with no dad, let me tell you, this has been therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, happy holidays to you. Um, you too. You too. I'll go ahead and email you my uh, my mailing address so you can send me any screen used props that you want to throw my way. <laughs> right, right. Now that now that you've taken me on as your uh, as your surrogate father, right? I yeah, you, exactly. Like a son. Oh, <laughs> it's beautiful. I appreciate it. What you wish for. <laughs> oh, you just made my day. Thank you so much, Bob. Okay. All right. We'll do this again when uh, Back to the Future of the Musical comes to Broadway. Yes, I can't wait to see it. Okay. All right. I'll see you in the future. Don't you like it? I know I do. How about you? What do we know? Tiny patterns, hypnotizing, terrorizing. Turn the lights off and...